What's going on, Nerd Herders? You're listening to Go Chuck Yourself. In this episode, Aaron and I are going to recap and analyze Season 2, Episode 7 of Chuck, Chuck versus the Fat Lady. Feel free to send us an email at gochuckyourselfpodcast at gmail.com. We might just read your email on air, assuming it's not su- something super private. Uh, if it's super private, not sure why you sent it to us in the first place, but just keep it in mind. You could also feel free to follow us on Twitter at gochuckpodcast. And hey, you could also tweet at us there and maybe we'll read the tweet on air. We're just always looking for things to read on air. So if you want to help us out in that quest, that would be wonderful. Make sure to subscribe and like us on Apple Podcasts and Spotify or wherever you're getting your podcasts and listening to. We'd love to hear from you and hope that you are enjoying the show. Now, here we go. Chuck versus the fat lady, more like Chuck versus the fat man. Hello, welcome to Go Chuck Yourself. My name is Chris, the fat man Gillespie. <laughs> I was like, who is the fat man? <laughs> I'm the fat man. Hello, uh, joining the fat man. I am Aaron Arada. Uh, I don't know. I don't. I did not prepare a uh, fun nickname for myself. We'll, we'll work on it. We'll workshop it over the course of the episode. Aaron, no fun nicknames, Arada. Yes, that's me. Welcome to Go Chuck Yourself. I say that to you, the listener, and also to Aaron. Uh, it's been quite a while since we've done this. Uh, that has no bearing for you, the listener, hopefully. Uh, but it has been uh, it's been about two months, I think, since we, we've recorded. <laughs> I, yeah, around there. I, it was long enough for me to forget about Jill. And then when she was in the episode, I was like, who is that? So <laughs> It's been long enough that I forgot about the show. Um yeah. The so why we took two months off. Uh, a little fun fact about Go Chuck Yourself is that after every six episodes that we record, uh, we are entitled it's union stuff, but we're entitled to a two <laughs> months a two month long sabbatical where we can go off and do our own individual endeavors that are either going to a further your understanding of Chuck or b um, doing something that will benefit the podcast. So. Uh, we've been off on our sabbatical in, you know, in five more episodes, we'll do it again. <laughs> um, Aaron, Aaron did some pretty interesting things on her sabbatical. Aaron, how did you spend your time off? To further my understanding of the world and hereby the show, Chuck, I recently took a trip to London and Paris, um, two locations that are just just uh, ripe with uh, Chuck-related information. Like when you go to Westminster Abbey and you see the grave of Elizabeth I, you think, this inspired Big Mike's character, I think. Mm-hmm. I do have and, uh, I have a question. Sorry to cut you off, please, but I think everyone's, no, everyone's wondering it. You saw London. You saw France. You see anyone's underpants? Uh, let me think about it. Um, I don't think so, actually. So now I'm, now I'm disappointed. I have to go back. <laughs> You missed the, I, you missed the third piece. You got to go back. Yes, I know. What I did see, um, we took a cruise, uh, a, a lunch cruise along the Seine, and they have like a Statue of Liberty there, which I have talked about to everyone, despite the fact that everyone probably knows there is a Statue of Liberty in France. Mm-hmm. But I like I like to tell everybody about it. And my favorite part of the story is that there was kind of like a like a jazz singer on the boat. And when they were they were singing like French songs, it was like mainly like a very touristy thing. So they were singing like the French songs that, you know, like as American, British, whatever tourists. 
but they were singing in French. They were singing like French-ish songs. And then when we passed the Statue of Liberty, they started singing New York, New York. So oh, there you go. Nice. A little, a little reminder of home. Nice. Did you, um, were, were you finding yourself that it was a relief being in Europe that, you know, because you're so well known here in America for this particular show that you were kind of able to resume civilian life in Europe? That's actually, yes, that's a, that, that's a very good question. And that is actually definitely the case. <laughs> um, I did not receive any special treatment, which was uh, like mm. really nice actually, because yeah. I just like here, like, I mean, it's nice that people shower me with love and affection, but it's also like, is it for me or is it for the show? And like there, I got to just be showered by love and affection just like as myself. Right. And they didn't know. Did you do it, make any effort to spread the word of Chuck in Europe to or go Chuck yourself? Or are we going to have more European downloads? I would hope so. Um, I definitely I uh, I wore my go Chuck yourself. Uh, they're they're shorts. Um, they have the the name of our show written across like the backside of the shorts. So I tried to wear those everywhere I go, and I did get a lot of attention. So that's interesting. New downloads. I, I, yeah. I didn't know that you made those shorts for yourself. Yeah, they'll be they'll be available uh, on our T Public <laughs> that we definitely have one day. Go check yourself booty shorts. That yep. that's the merch that I everyone was wants. About, are those still a thing? Because I haven't seen anyone with like words on their butt recently. Um. I guess not. I, I haven't seen anyone doing it either, I guess. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, um, we'll bring it back for you. There you go. Go check yourself. Booty shorts. Yes. Uh, my my sabbatical, I spent. Really yes, I was I, I was going to ask. I was going to ask you that. I just wasn't sure if you were done. Chris, please tell us about your sabbatical. Well, Aaron, thanks for asking. Uh, my sabbatical, I really wanted to, um, you know, better understand Chuck by really embracing my inner nerd, I suppose. Oh. So I took. A uh, very long time to rewatch all of the MCU movies leading up to me seeing Avengers Endgame. Uh, so I, well, I guess I saw all of them besides the Incredible Hulk, but I watched all of. Have, have we talked about this yet? Have we talked about Endgame? We've not. We will not do it here either. I don't. I don't think we can. But we need to. Uh, we need to talk about it later. But I, uh, yeah, I spent a lot of time having to coordinate uh, viewings of these movies with uh, my friend. And uh, it took it took a while to have the schedules line up where we could do that. And I eventually saw Endgame a month after it was already in theaters. I <gasps> lived in constant fear of Endgame spoilers during that time. So I was basically a hermit and uh, <laughs> was trying to stay away from Googling anything that could potentially yield any any uh, Endgame spoilers. That makes sense. And I mean, like, it's kind of a minefield. Like, you could Google pretty much anything and exactly. something might come up i know that's why i was in constant terror yeah so but seeing endgame seen but, it twice now at this point so and now you have a much better appreciation for thor the dark world the best of the mcu films yeah 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 they're not gonna dive into that but more uh, on that later i have a deeper appreciation for chuck you know i feel like this is something that chuck would have done yeah i think well i think you're definitely right but i don't think he would have had as much trouble with the scheduling other than like if he had spy stuff to do right but i feel like if he was coordinating with one of his friends which would definitely be morgan i feel like morgan would just already be at his house yeah morgan doesn't have a lot going on also i mean tying it into chuck he's obviously zachary levi is in thor the dark world like you said oh yeah he is at the beginning of ragnarok where he's immediately killed yeah, I always forget that they get killed because it's so, like, not really a thing. Yeah, it's so not important. He also, yeah. I, I read that he, Zachary Levi, auditioned for the role of Star-Lord in Guardians of the Galaxy. I, see, I feel like I knew that. I feel like I would have liked that more, actually. 
I don't know. I got a lot of feelings about the the Chris Pratt Star Lord, but well, that's neither here nor there. Yeah. Anyhow, <laughs> that was my sabbatical, and uh, the entire time I was doing it, I was like, "Good lord, I this feels like something I'm doing for a podcast, but it's not. It's just something that I'm doing for my own my own personal pleasure." I'm glad that I don't have to document my thoughts about this, but I did rank all the MCU movies in order of my least favorite to favorite, which is also something That's- I can share with you later. Yeah, please, please share with me. I don't know uh, if, if our listeners are interested in that. Feel free to tweet at us. We'll, we'll tell you what it is, but I don't I don't know that we want to use the airspace to do it now. No, but what I wanted, I do want to use the airspace for is after two long months, I've been jonesing to get back to go Chuck yourself. And this right here is where we talk about Chuck versus the fat lady. Uh, Chuck really beats the hell out of that poor woman, I would say. <laughs> he just goes to town. I, I Like, sure, she might be overweight by like medical standards, but I don't I think she carries it well. So. <laughs> was was there was there a, a fat lady in this episode um i think it was a, a reference to the opera yeah i think i mean i think that's true but th- did a fat lady sing well i guess actually we'll get to that okay cool so we'll get to that and we'll jump right in i guess with the beginning of chuck versus the fat lady which is episode seven of season two of chuck I realize I'm realizing right now that I often start my notes with this episode is coming in hot and I'm going to start it that way again. Uh, This episode is coming in hot with intense spy music and Chuck leading someone up a staircase. He sprays some kind of mist onto a sensor. He breaks through a keypad on a door and he exits onto the roof. Something is usually up when episodes start this way and we do find out that he's actually sneaking out to have a romantic picnic with Jill on the Bymore roof. You can tell she's a real love interest now because she's no longer wearing her glasses. <laughs> Chris, I have to show you something. Watch what? this. What's going on? Oh, my God. I'm a love interest now. <laughs> For those of you listening, I just took off my glasses, which I am wearing because I do have a sty in my eye right now. So I got to wear glasses. So I am a love interest with a sty. <laughs> Jill asked Chuck how he became a spy, but he does not tell her. Uh, More on this later, I guess. Um, She does not know anything about the intersect. He comments about how the roof is one of the few places he can go without surveillance. Then they begin kissing. So I want to ask you here, do you think they intended to have sex on this roof? Based on how strong the other implications (laughs) are later, I feel like probably yes, that's probably what they were going for. Okay, well that sounds uncomfortable and unsanitary, but more power to them. We unfortunately don't get to find out what their intentions were because the security camera on the roof turns and points at Chuck. I guess he's not having true love's kiss where you forget about the world around you and when your lips meet the other person's because he notices the camera despite the fact that he's kissing Jill when this happens. Mm -hmm. Um, He stands up to yell at Casey for spying and we move back into Castle where Casey and Sarah are both like in the room and Casey's watching through the camera Casey tells Sarah she's pretty nonchalant about her supercomputer boyfriend trying to browse someone else's network. I liked liked that as a humorous line, but it ends with a pretty emotional moment because Sarah says Chuck is entitled to a real girlfriend, and she's a little, like, a little sad about it. Can I just say that Chuck is all incredulous and upset when he's like, oh, you guys have a camera on the roof? Why? Because of all the terrorist activity on the Buy More roof? Like, yeah, yeah, no, no, absolutely, Chuck. Have you watched the other episodes? There's constantly terrorists inside the Bymore. There's there's been several fight scenes on the roof. And then like a few episodes ago, he had to jump off of the roof to fight a terrorist on the ground. It's completely logical that there'd be cameras on the roof. It would be reckless if they didn't have cameras up there. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) 
So uh, that's Chuck is wrong. I'm glad you pointed that out too. It's it's safe to have the cameras on the roof. They should. There's been so many terrorists. It's fine. It's fine. Yes. Yeah. So many delivery women who just uh, are on the roof having fights just with Sarah. Constantly beating the shit out of Sarah on the just, roof. Yeah. <laughs> so kind of like Wade and Kim Possible, Beckman appears on a screen. I was going to sing the, the Kim Possible song, but I decided not to do that. I made a game time decision. Um, there's some list of fulcrum agents that might be in Jill's dead boss's hotel room or something. So they need to take Chuck in there to see if he can flash. Sarah goes to talk to Chuck when he angrily storms into the Orange Orange, and he comments about how there's no terrorist activity on top of the Bymore, which is dumb, as we've already established. <laughs> um, Sarah asks Chuck if everything is okay, and he tells her it's nice to be with someone who knows the real him, which is kind of a slap in the face. I mean, Sarah knows the real him as well. He's being a real like jerk. I, yeah, I understand the concept. Like, I understand that, like... Like, you know me differently than, like, people I know here, like, because we've known each other since college, like, but I wouldn't say that the pe like, I wouldn't be like, oh, like, so-and-so doesn't know the real me, only Chris knows the real me, so. <laughs> yeah, that's sorry. true. Sorry to tell you that this way, but. <laughs> well, no, I was, I, that was a compliment to me, right? Because I'm yeah. the, the superior person, because if I, when I go to <laughs> LA and I'll just walk around and be like, you don't know Aaron, I'll just be pushing people around. And push everyone okay, into well, that, that was that was have. definitely not the point I was trying to make, but you you take it how you Everyone's want. Everyone's going to the tar pit. <laughs> you didn't know Aaron in 2012? Jump into the tar pit. Oh my god. The tar pit is really sad, actually. Anyway, Sarah says that she will talk to Casey about giving Chuck more privacy. She's clearly sad, but Chuck is uh Chuck doesn't care. Chuck don't give a shit in this episode. Yeah, I feel bad for Sarah. Uh, Chuck tries to talk to Casey, and Casey has an incredible line where he says, I'm not even interested in my own feelings, Bartowski, <laughs> which I relate to that very much. And we dive into uh, a few episodes from now. Yes. Uh, you, you would know that. I would, know I would that. not. I've I have no the, idea what I've you're talking about. I've seen the future, about. and I, I know it's coming. <laughs> Meanwhile, we see Emmett signing off on home installs, realizing all of them are for Chuck. He makes a note on a notepad that says, where does Chuck go? I'm not sure why he wrote that down, but it's a good visual for us. Uh, that's a that's a screenwriting tip. You got to show what uh, what your character is thinking, <laughs> especially when uh, Chuck doesn't use um, like voiceovers or anything at all. Yeah, like the show they, they have, don't. They have had a voiceover like twice. It's just Chuck recapping stuff, though. Yeah, it's never like a character in the moment being like, "Yeah, hmm, that's true." This is what I think, but I'm not saying yeah. out loud. Uh, so Morgan rolls up to work with an illegal game copying device, bragging that it's highly illegal. This prompts Emmett to step in and ask what's illegal, then ask them if they're going to smoke weed on their lunch break. I was kind of surprised that he took this route, but it led to the best line in the episode <laughs> where he says, I heard the loading dock is like a five for fighting concert. I wrote in parentheses in my notes, Chris will probably start singing here. So you've disappointed me oh, that you wow. did not start singing 100 years. Oh, I don't know that one. Oh, you don't know how, no, you, I do. You know 100 I do. Years. I, was, I think of the other one. Superman? No, I think of the other what? one. What other one? The one where he's, um, he's, a, uh, it's like the riddle or something like that. Oh, okay. Like, That's the like, answer for you. Okay, yeah. singing. There's That's like way older than the other ones. No, it's not. It's newer. I mean, way newer. That's what I mean. Yeah. 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 All right. Cool. Are they still a thing? Providing. Uh, I think it was just one guy and I think absolutely not, but maybe, <laughs> maybe there's still a thing. Apparently he smokes a lot of dope. I guess so. Or people at his concerts do anyway. Or like five for smoking. Wow. Uh, 
<laughs> Emmett tries to get a moment alone with Chuck for what feels like the 500th time, but also for the 500th time, Chuck jets off to a fake home install. <laughs> Emmett's interest is further piqued by this, but mine is too, because I don't know where Chuck went, because the next scene is Chuck at night talking to Jill, getting ready for his mission. So where do you think that was a real home install? Where do you think he went? I have no idea. I've stopped trying to keep track of where Chuck goes. Because he just he appears in the Bymore, then he disappears from the Bymore, and then he appears yeah. at Castle, and he disappears from Castle. I don't yeah. know. <laughs> He's just well. That's another screenwriting tip. Just keep everybody guessing about what <laughs> characters are where's doing. Where's the main character? <laughs> uh, Jill asks Chuck what Sarah's like and if she's pretty, which prompts me to think: Has Jill never seen Sarah? Weren't they in the last episode <laughs> together? So I don't know what what this question is about, but Jill is basically asking a lot of questions about their missions, specifically if they're ever, like, romantic. Chuck says there's nothing sexy about his spy missions, so predictably when he opens the door to Casey's apartment, Sarah is in there in fishnets and a beautiful red dress, and then she winks. I just thought that she was dressed nice for a night on the town, but apparently she's trying to be an escort. Chris yep. picked up on that imagery. I did not. I was just like, what a nice outfit. Picture you walking down the streets of uh, downtown LA. Like, look at oh, all no. these women. Why are they all dressed up? Where are they going? Are they going to a, an event? They're so formal. Like, no. <laughs> so Chuck and Sarah go to a hotel that's supposedly known for its discreetness when powerful men show up with their escorts. That's, I'm sure there are some of those. Uh, they book a room, then they go in there and change into their spy clothes. We cut to that with Sarah adjusting her spy clothes, like looking like she's just changed. So I'm impressed that she apparently changed in this room with Casey and Chuck there and no one commented on it and we didn't see it. Like, that was nice. She was just like, no one mentioned it. I was happy. So they change into, they go from their their suits and their escort costume that they're going upstairs in, into like all black, mm -hmm. right? So yeah. it makes me think, like, why don't they use... Because they look like an improv troupe. So I feel like, oh. why isn't that a cover that they utilize more often? It'd be pretty easy. Just wear all black. No one would want to talk to them. <laughs> they could act weird and no one will suspect anything. This is a, this is a very good idea. I, I don't think that we were, uh, as a society, ready for the improv plotline yet. Okay, that's fair enough. I'll keep I, my eye out for it. Yeah. Um, there's, there's an improv plotline in the show Lucifer. So if you are thirsty for improv... Stuff that isn't really related to the plot of the show at all but is just there uh there you go well i'm not so i will not look into that but thank you for <laughs> okay. letting me know so sarah casey and chuck climb through a vent to get to like the hotel room that they want to be in the the crime scene of jill's ex-boss uh chuck accidentally butt dials jill which i was wondering if this is one of the first appearances of like an iphone butt dial in media i have no way of knowing um but it could be. I was wondering about yeah, it. Maybe. It seems pretty uh, a, a time when this might have not happened as much. Um, Jill hears some apparently incriminating dialogue between Chuck and Sarah where they're talking about how long it should take a businessman to have sex with his escort. And then they talk about Chuck's physical struggles getting through the vents, which is a lot of like, aren't your knees hurting and move your hips differently and stuff like that. Um, Jill overhears this and thinks that they must be having sex, so she gets mad and leaves Chuck's apartment, which is where she was apparently hanging out by herself. Ellie and Awesome are nowhere to be seen. She's just yes, by herself unfortunately. in her, nope. her new boyfriend's apartment. Uh, back in the Bymore, Morgan enters the break room, and Emmett has set up an interrogation space where he says that the Bymore is a nation called Bymoria, and Chuck is looking to succeed. Emmett seems to think that Chuck is on drugs, which is the trend of this show, apparently, because he is not the first person to suspect that. 
he blackmails Morgan with photo evidence of Morgan and Anna hooking up in the home theater room, which uh, it was nice to see Anna because we certainly haven't seen her on the show for a while. <laughs> yeah, I completely forgot about Anna until yep. uh, she's just not in these episodes. I, she's if just I could, uh, a photograph of her. Just a photograph. Um, if I could speak to the Bimoria situation. Please do. Okay, so we have the country of Bimoria. Uh, Emmett alludes to this being a republic of states correct yes okay. yes it does so this is uh this is not worthy enough for it's a sign our segment but it, there was a sign in the background behind morgan that says okay. by more the customer is king so that means okay. that by more the customer is the king of by right so it's not really okay. it's not a democracy it could mm. still be a republic but it's not a democracy so that means that it's like a sham government or that there's some confusion about what's going on but also I'm wondering if the national pastime of Bimoria is mixing metaphors because at first Emmett refers to Bimor employees as the states of Bimoria. Yes. And then when he threatens Morgan, he threatens to fire him and he refers to that as being deported from Bimoria, mm. which implies that can entire states be deported? Because if so, I have a list going. <laughs> but i was just like well guys come on too many too many metaphors is yeah, chuck a state can you get deported is he a citizen what's going on with bimoria the states that um, i would deport are the states where we don't have any downloads from go check yourself so if you're <laughs> listening to this right now you are not getting deported yeah good okay that's nice yes. thanks listeners so chuck casey and sarah have broken into the hotel room when we next see them chuck flashes on a little wooden box and chris uh we haven't talked about your good friend in a while but i think it's time to step into the robert langdon corner oh no <laughs> i was uh mentally referring to this episode as chuck versus the da vinci code yeah yeah we got some fibonacci sequences we got i don't remember what did he what did what was the box called a venetian code box or something yeah like venetian that? puzzle box yeah um it, it was uh, was bringing back all all my memories of the sixth grade when I read the Da Vinci Code for the first time. Same. And Chuck was like, "Oh, this this puzzle box says, oh, we're jumping ahead a little bit, right?" Well, yeah, the, they opened the box a little a little while later, but you can, you can yeah. Talk so about Chuck it. talks about the he's like, "Oh, it's not you know this code is a complicated Fibonacci sequence. Like the Fibonacci sequence isn't complicated. You know what I mean?" I guess yeah. unless you started with higher numbers, then it would be more confusing. But like the idea of the Fibonacci sequence is not confusing. Yeah, no, I, I understood it as a sixth grader. Um, <laughs> I mean, probably before then, too. Uh, but yeah, it's not it's not that complicated. But, you know, Chuck, Chuck and Jill are both geniuses. So obviously they are the only ones who could solve this box. Right. More on that later, because we are ahead of ourselves slightly. <laughs> Um, outside the hotel room, a fulcrum agent shows up. We never find out this man's name, so I will be referring to him as the fulcrum agent. He shows up and shoots the two men guarding the door. When they hear the shots, Chuck and Sarah and Casey escape back into the vent. Chuck has to climb up onto Casey's shoulders to get back in, which I really liked. Back in their room, Chuck opens the secret box and a gas comes out and sprays on Chuck and Sarah. So they take off their clothes and run to take a shower. Chuck has a moment where he's going to wash Sarah's back, and I guess he realizes how beautiful she is. I have a moment where I think about the fact that Sarah is wearing boy shorts and how that's very practical in a very physical work environment. But I also wish that I didn't know that, because why is she always in her underwear and now she is wet? Anyway, Jill knocks on the door, and when Chuck opens it, Jill sees him and Sarah in their underwear and wet and have, having obviously just taken a shower. 
Jill says the bellhop sent her up to Chuck's room, which I was wondering, did she also pretend to be an escort? Did she say that she was an escort, but she was late? Why would this hotel that's known for its discreetnesses just, like, send up whoever asked to someone else's room? I don't know. Incidentally, my uh, I must have gone, like, the, the PG version of the Chuck Season 2 DVD set because w- when it came time for the shower scene, my DVD skipped ahead, ahead like, over <laughs> that part. And I was like, well... I don't know what I just missed, but I know that I missed like a little bit. So what I had mm-hmm. to end up doing was the only way I could watch it was watching it in reverse. So when I was rewinding it, <laughs> I saw that scene backwards and in mute. And I was like, this is creepy. I don't know how I feel. Okay, about yeah, this. that's very weird. I did. I yeah, don't want to miss uh, anything. I don't want to miss out any context of what was going on. Your DVD is uh, just very moral. It must have come from one of the uh, moral, very moral states that maybe is not having listeners to our podcast. <laughs> I don't know. Very moral. So Chuck and Sarah are freaking out in the hotel room because they think that they've just been poisoned by this poisonous gas. Uh, Casey does not breathe in the gas. So he says that he's going to rush out and come back with a substance analysis kit. Uh, He was very casual about it. Like, I thought he was just leaving them to die based on his face. Well, the last episode, he got super poisoned. So if I was him, I'd be like, oh, thank God it wasn't me this time. (laughs) I'm getting out of here. Chuck is freaking out about the Jill situation. Uh, and also the poison, but mainly the Jill situation because he's an idiot. Uh, Casey's little kit, he returns with it and he determines that the substance that Chuck and Sarah were sprayed with is actually just powdered fruit punch. And Sarah and Which Chuck is weird, but, you know. are not in danger. It's weird. Good. Yep, but they're not in danger. Chuck is aggravated yeah. that they went through all of that, including jeopardizing his relationship with Jill just to get sprayed with fruit punch. Um, at this point, I was wondering, I'm like, do they mean Kool-Aid? Do you think they could say Kool-Aid? Because I feel like they kept saying powdered fruit punch. and That seems like a way of not saying Kool-Aid. But I think it's Kool-Aid. I didn't, I didn't think about that, but I think you're probably right. I mean, they call it root and raspberry or something. Well, it later. ends up being high C, but. Oh, OK, yeah. right. I just thought the, the phrase powdered fruit punch is not one that you hear too often. Yeah. Back at the buy yeah, more, Emmett is continuing his Chuck witch hunt to try to find out where Chuck goes in the middle of the day. Uh, mm-hmm. God bless him if he finds out, because, you know, we certainly <laughs> no, have no we don't know. And we as the viewer are <laughs> omnipotent and we can see all <laughs> while being invisible. Emmett interrogates Lester and Jeff, both of whom are useless because they just bicker with one another. Eventually, once Emmett threatens to blow the lid on Jeff and Lester's after our poker nights at the Bymore, Jeff and Lester admit to seeing Chuck with Jill the other night. Now, this is a reference to the previous episode um, where they... Jeff and Lester pull up in the Nerd Herd Cruiser <laughs> on the Cockblock Express and see yes. Chuck on his d- date with Jill. Um, and they say that they perceive this to be Chuck cheating on Sarah with another woman and suspect that this is his big secret and why he's acting so strange. Mm-hmm. Um, because everyone knows if you have a mistress, you see her during your work day and jeopardize <laughs> your job to also jeopardize yes, your relationship. Yes, that is how that works. Um, Lester refers to where uh, where Chuck and Jill were as a place, a real silver roar joint, mm. which I really liked. <laughs> that was a good that was a good uh, insight into his his world. Yes. When Emmett asks what the mistress's name is, Jeff and Lester tell him that he needs to break Morgan because, quote, Morgan's beard contains so many secrets. I wrote that down, too. Turns out that in Emmett's investigation, similar to the kill portion of each episode of this podcast, all roads lead to Morgan. Yes, that is uh, very true. Um, I don't want to steal your thunder here, but I will point out that when Emmett does find Morgan, Morgan is surrounded by Hello Kitty toys, which I really liked. I don't know if you wrote that down, but Morgan seemed to be adjusting the Hello Kitty display at the Buy More. So 
Great. <laughs> I was on board with that. Thank you for providing the context and not just making it seem like he was just in a room full of Hello Kitty dolls, which would be very yes. unsettling. Um, Speaking of Hello Kitty, uh, my cat just <laughs> left onto my legs, looked at me, and then left. Goodbye, Kitty. Uh, Chuck is back in the store, just like Aaron's cat is back with her. Uh, <sighs> Chuck is back in the store at this point, not working, but just leaving Jill <laughs> constant voicemails, which is something that Chuck has gotten very good at Seems yeah. since he seems to do this with every woman he meets, whether it's Sarah or Jill or Lou. God, rest in peace, Lou. Jeff and Lester approach Morgan, who is fluffing a Hello Kitty display. Oh, my God, I did oh, write good. it down. Okay, you did write it down. Good. They tell him that he needs to cooperate with Emmett. Jeff and Lester run away as they see Emmett approaching. Emmett asks Morgan once again where Chuck goes during the day, and Morgan refuses to break, saying that Chuck is going to fix computers and computer-related software. Emmett doesn't understand why Morgan keeps covering for Chuck. At this exact moment, Jill hurries into the Buy More to confront Chuck, and Emmett points out points her out to Morgan. Morgan recognizes Jill and is heartbroken to find out that Chuck indeed has been keeping this from him. Emmett is delighted that he got to the bottom of the Bartowski mystery and promises Morgan that he won't tell Chuck that his best friend was the weak link. Chuck takes. I don't. Do they, do they like? Do they have a plan here? Do they have some like? Is is Emmett just happy that like he thinks that he's cracked it? That like it's that Chuck has been sneaking out to sleep with someone? Um, or is there like some implication that like Morgan is going like? Why is Morgan the weak link? Just because he says like that's Jill. Like, what does knowing her name mean to Emmett? How is he going to use that information? I think Emmett just wants proof that Chuck is not going on installs when he's leaving. And for whatever okay, reason... Okay, but he, he doesn't really have that. He just knows that Chuck might be talking to a woman. <laughs> True. The pieces do not really line up, I guess. Yeah, I just, like, there was, in a later scene, which we'll get to, I don't want to get too ahead of ourselves, but in a later scene, he's like, tomorrow, Chuck will get his. And I'm like, what, how? What did, what did you establish? Emmett is very against adultery. Yes. Um, I mean, okay. I don't know. Like, he has principles. Chuck takes Jill to the Bybor back room. Uh, why? Uh, and she says that he has three seconds to explain to her why what she saw at the hotel wasn't what she saw. This is referring to him and Sarah in the shower. Mm -hmm. uh, after removing his foot from his mouth, Chuck tells her about what <coughs> happened with the puzzle box and the fruit punch powder. Chuck asks Jill if she believes him, and she says that she does. Turns out that uh, her boss, Guy, was paranoid and was always inserting puzzles into different communications to make sure that they were secure. Uh, he, uh, she says that he put puzzle encryptions on emails, uh, which is apparently something you can do. And for this reason, Jill says the fruit punch could be a clue, a small piece of a much larger puzzle. Ooh, just like the Da Vinci Code. And now, although I am able to summarize this for you myself, Chuck apparently cannot. So he blindfolds Jill and brings her to Castle to tell Casey and Sarah this herself. <laughs> Casey is pissed because he says, quote, it's not a secret location if you invite people over. And I think this is very legitimate because if Chuck blindfolds Jill at the buy more, does he spin <laughs> her around afterwards? Because if not, and she just like keeps having her bearings and then they just walk out of the buy more and then they keep going <laughs> through the parking lot and then into and then a, she smells frozen yogurt into another air conditioned building on the other side of the parking lot, smelling frozen <laughs> yogurt. And then they go around the counter and into the back room. Like she would have to be the dumbest person in the world not to figure out where she was just taken. Um, the blindfold is just about useless since all the other sensory information from the trip gives it all away. I think. Yeah, yeah. Chuck, it was not. Chuck should have put a burlap sack over her head <laughs> as he marched <laughs> into the parking lot. 
what did like what do you think like the people in the parking lot or like the other shoppers thought was happening oh my god <laughs> as he leads a blindfolded <laughs> woman into a freezer why is that guy from Bymore walking through the parking lot with that blindfolded woman <laughs> yep questions we never get an answer to you don't really see too many blindfolds out in public these days yeah, I, I think that's something we need to see more of, maybe. Um, so when she's in Castle, Jill explains what what she just told Chuck and what I just said about Chuck. Jill explains that she thinks that the fruit punch is a clue and insists that they tell her what flavor of fruit punch it was exactly. Sarah speculates that it was traditional flavor. Thanks, Sarah. That's helpful. Uh, <laughs> well, Casey is just dumbfounded. He didn't taste it, so he has no clue. Or he did taste it, but he he doesn't remember or know what it is. But didn't they have a thing that like analyzed like what it was? Because Jill is like, what was the chemical compound? <laughs> Correct. And like they analyzed it to see if it was a threat. Wouldn't they know? I guess it was just is this poisonous or not? Okay. But yeah, Casey tasted it and also ran it through some kind of kit and cannot for the life of him tell him tell Jill what it is. Um. So they use a different spectrometer kit uh, to analyze the residue that's on the puzzle box. The uh, the analysis shows that the 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 residue is of uh, rootland raspberry high C, so it's evidently not Kool Aid. It's high evidently. C. Apparently, you could say high C on TV. You can't say Kool Aid. Maybe someday. Maybe someday we'll we'll finally be able to. They'll stop censoring us, and we'll be able to say Kool Aid. <laughs> I enjoy this this crisp, refreshing powdered beverage. It would be really funny if every time we say Kool Aid in this episode, you bleep it out. It would be funny. It would be really funny. No one would know what we we're talking about, but it would be funny. It would be good. Uh, the group floats a few different theories as to what the root and raspberry could represent. Jill says a sports team, maybe. Sarah says it could be referring to international waters. Chuck, I didn't understand. What What is that? The high seas. Why? Ah, uh, okay. I, I didn't get it, yeah. but now I get it. Sarah's pretty cerebral. Uh, yeah. Chuck says, hold on. Hold on. This puzzle box is a music box, and high <gasps> C is a musical note. So Chuck, Sarah, and Jill uh, try to figure out where they can find a pitch pipe. But Casey starts to sing and hits high C immediately, which opens, it was a, beautiful. opens a secret compartment in the puzzle box. Everyone is dumbfounded, including myself. And Casey explains that he was a choir boy growing up and that he, quote, wasn't hatched. Which I really enjoyed. I really enjoyed that, too. That was a really good moment for Casey. Chuck examines the mystery item, which turns out to be opera glasses or like those tiny little glasses that you'd wear like in a, a, at a balcony opera. at the opera or at some other place where you're trying to look fancy but also can't see things yes uh, he flashes on the glasses and realizes that they're not glasses they're actually a sophisticated key casey says where's the lock to which chuck retorts where is the opera so cut to Great. sarah and casey i asked that question when we got to paris where is the opera i wanted to see my boy the phantom oh more on that later i guess <laughs> cut to sarah and casey storming into a theater as a performance of opera is rehearsing they discuss their thoughts about having jill participate in the operation casey thinks that is useful and doesn't really care while sarah just this one time kind of gives a shit and doesn't like it we see chuck and jill entering one of the box seats which jill explains was Guy's family's box they examine the area until chuck finds a round metal object the size of a nickel built into the carpet it has the same markings as the key from the opera glasses now the key opens a small compartment in the floor, which houses a mysterious box the size of a shoebox. So now, rather than take this box and get the hell out of the theater without okay, causing a scene, too. 
Why, why do they need to do that? They, they're like, hey, everybody practicing, get off the stage. We're going to open this box. They don't even here. say get off the stage. They just walk onto the stage while these poor people are rehearsing. Why do they need, like, why can't they do it in the, like, rows and rows of seats? Or outside, or just yeah. don't lie. Our brilliant, oh, bring it to Castle. Our brilliant and lovable spies take the box onto the stage during the rehearsal in order to open the box on the prop table. Casey opens the box and we see some musical sheet notes as well as a ticking timer. Uh-oh, looks like we found a bomb. Good thing we just opened it up in the middle of the theater. Uh, Casey evacuates the civilians who are just trying to rehearse their show. Sarah tries to usher Jill and Chuck out, but Jill won't have it. She says that Guy wouldn't have wanted to hurt people and that the timer is just a time-sensitive puzzle. Sarah says, what if you're wrong? And Jill says, that doesn't happen. Oh, That was amazing. I'm going to use that in everyday life. <laughs> Chuck is silent, but his face says, uh-oh, my intelligent, powerful girlfriends are fighting. <laughs> Jill starts working on solving the puzzle with Chuck's help, but Sarah is anxious that it is really a bomb and tries to drag Chuck away because he is the intersect after all. But Chuck says that he believes Jill because she hasn't been wrong yet. And Sarah is just, well, she's beside herself at this point. That's true. Chuck's been a real little, uh, little dickhead this episode. Also, as this is happening, the uh, fulcrum assassin from earlier in the episode who does not have a name was uh, kills FBI agents who are entering the theater uh, to see what's going on and to probably kill someone else. Uh, as the seconds tick down into single digits, Sarah is panicking, but Jill and Chuck solve the puzzle and a USB drive pops out. Jill and Chuck celebrate with a celebratory makeout session while Sarah and Casey are like, what the hell is going on? Hell Yeah. Later that night, Sarah and Casey talk to Beckman about their findings. Beckman tells them that they are currently cross-referencing the list of CIA agents on the USB drive with their database to finally put together a comprehensive list of fulcrum operatives. Beckman is very pleased and wishes to thank Chuck, but he's not there. She asks, where, where is he? Yeah, where is he? And Casey says, probably round in second base by this point. That was very uncomfortable. <laughs> so... Devin is clearly not in this episode, but thank God that Casey is here to advocate for and, and promote Chuck's sex life. Yeah, he fulfills the role. Um, Sarah rolls her eyes so hard that they become disconnected from her brain and her head explodes. That was a uh, very, very violent scene for the show, Chuck, I feel like someone's head exploding. But, uh, yeah, you know, it's sometimes sometimes it's the only way to make your point. <laughs> yeah. Cut to Chuck's bedroom where the makeout session is actually in full swing. Jill reaches for Chuck's penis. Uh, why did I write that? <laughs> yeah, she did. <laughs> that is a good description of what was happening there. <laughs> okay. I, <laughs> all right. Cut to Chuck's bedroom where the makeout session continues in full swing. Jill reaches for Chuck's penis, which is also oh. probably called Mr. Carmichael. <laughs> no, I hate that. But Chuck, Chuck shoots her down because he knows that there are cameras in his room and that Casey will be watching them make love, uh, which Chuck <laughs> is not about. So instead, Chuck suggests that Jill meet him at the Bymore the following day at a time that they communicate using atomic numbers and chemical facts, or as Casey refers to it as nerd code. So if Casey just re like replayed the footage and pulled up Wikipedia, yeah, he could, he could figure it. it out. Yeah, but he was like, yeah. oh, I can't figure it out. It's a nerd code. Yeah. Uh, it's um, that's not his principles. He's like, I'm not, I'm not fucking with that. No, I don't care about nerd code. Just like he won't kiss Chuck in the last episode to <laughs> save his life. He won't yeah. do nerd code to save Chuck. No, those are his two rules. <laughs> no nerd code. No kissing Chuck. Yep. So back at the Bymore the next day, uh, the. Looney Tunes episode where Bugs Bunny and Elmer Fudder at the opera is playing on oh, all the I TVs. Oh, I read that down too. Yeah. Chuck approaches Morgan and asks him to cover him as he goes out during the day for a romantic getaway. Morgan says, oh, you're taking Sarah out? 
Chuck slams his foot in his mouth so hard that he breaks his ankle. And Morgan tells him to cut the crap. He knows about Jill. In fact, he says everyone seems to know about Jill, including Emmett. (gasps) Jill texts Chuck to say that she is on her way. So Chuck once again asks Morgan if he can cover for him. And Morgan says that he will because they are best friends and best friends lie for each other, but not to each other. That was kind of like, I have to make a shameful admission here that like, I liked that moment from Morgan. Like, I, I thought it was kind of like, I... I thought it was annoying that he was, like, mad that Chuck has secrets, but I thought it was really nice that he was like, you know, even though we're in a little pickle right now, like, it was really an act of maturity. I think maybe Morgan was one of the most mature people in this episode. <laughs> I, I agree with that. Um, yeah. So Chuck runs out of the buy more and cut to a fun road trip. Jill and Chuck are driving in a convertible. Must be Jill's convertible. They're going into the countryside. I think she has one. Yeah. Where they stop at a gas station for gas and snacks. Chuck rex- runs into the gas station while Jill mans the pump. When Chuck returns, he sees that Jill has been taken at gunpoint by the fulcrum assassin, <gasps> who still doesn't have a name. No, he still he never gets a name. <laughs> this is, Don't worry about him. This is especially troublesome since, as we find out from Sarah and Casey, Chuck has gone off the grid and they can't even track him. Ah! The assassin announces that he needs uh, Guy's list of fulcrum agents or he will kill Jill. He then declares that Chuck needs to meet him at the opera house at midnight because he apparently appreciates the fine arts and has a knack for the dramatic. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he, he's well, maybe we should start calling him the Phantom. Ooh. Maybe that's who he is. OK, yeah, that's fine. The Phantom of the Opera. Yeah. I'm down. Well, I'm, do you think they couldn't call this? I mean, I don't know if they would want to call it Chuck versus the Phantom of the Opera, but like maybe that's better than Chuck versus the Fat Lady. So uh, after after his little adventure at the gas station, Chuck rushes in to appeal to Casey to help him rescue Jill. Casey thinks the man who took Jill will kill her, whether or not Chuck hands over the list. Chuck begs him, but Casey refuses, immediately turning his back to make a phone call to Washington. So obviously, Chuck just grabs the flash drive and runs out. Uh, alarms start blaring, and a gate slams down, locking Casey inside the room that he's in in Castle. The only one with a clear line of fire to Chuck is Sarah. She says, if you try to take that, I have to stop you. Casey says, shoot him, Walker, take him down. But the Amazon subtitles say, shoot him, Walker, in the knee. So <laughs> the Amazon was a, a little bit softer, a little nicer. <laughs> uh, but the real Casey, he is he is not. Uh, he's he's taking names. He's taking shots. He's he's not. Uh, he's a straight shooter. Uh, unfortunately, Chuck says he has to steal the flash drive because it's Jill. Uh, which means something to everyone, I guess. Um, Sarah is unable to shoot him, so he escapes. He goes He goes to his locker at the Bymore, which I'm not really sure why he went there. Maybe he's uh, taking his job very seriously. Maybe he wants to clock out. Uh, maybe he left something there. I was thinking that he needed the keys for a nerd herdmobile. Oh, that, okay, that makes sense. Um, but he does seem oddly interested in Morgan's Locker, which we know is Morgan's Locker because it has a lot of stickers for EA games. <laughs> and I had forgotten about the uh, game copier, so I was like, what about EA games is inspiring him? Is the initials EA, do they mean something? But uh, no, that's not what's happening. But uh, we'll figure out what exactly was happening later because we cut to Casey and Sarah sorting out whatever was happening with Castle it seems to me like Castle is, uh, you can get locked in or locked out or like, it's just whatever the episode needs, Castle will do it. <laughs> um, but they figure out how to get out of there and they track Chuck's location. He is no longer off the grid. 
Sarah says she couldn't shoot Chuck because he's the intersect, and Casey asks, is that all he is? Which I thought was a very good line. Meanwhile, uh, Chuck does have uh, one of the nerd herd cars. He's driving very fast to the opera. Um, this car is a Toyota Matrix instead of a smart car, and that will be the only time I know what kind of cars are on screen, but they say it later, so I just wanted to point out that this is a different type of car, and it is a Matrix. Fair enough. The unnamed Fulcrum agent has Jill at gunpoint at the Opera House stage. Jill says Chuck, and Chuck says Jill, and the agent says enough pillow talk. I'm doing it wrong, I guess. There's a pretty good standoff where it's just Chuck, Jill, and the Fulcrum guy. Then Casey shows up, but the Fulcrum guy says that he has a sniper pointing at Chuck. Then Sarah shows up and knocks the sniper out of the opera box. So Sarah is the sniper now, and the good guys seem to have the advantage. Unfortunately, the Fulcrum guy points his gun at Chuck. But fortunately, Casey says he was thinking of shooting Chuck too, and he points his second gun at (laughs) Chuck. So everybody's basically just pointing guns at Chuck except for Sarah. Uh, Casey says if Chuck tries to hand over the flash drive, he will shoot him. Chuck does it anyway, and he winks at Casey, which makes Casey hesitate. The Fulcrum agent destroys the flash drive under his boot, then leaves. So this man is presumably still alive, so maybe we'll see him again. Maybe he'll get a name. He's pretty much just the Phantom. He basically rides out of there behind the curtain on a a rope. He goes back to his underground cave to sing to Christine. Anyway, he leaves, whatever he does. Uh, He lets Jill go, too, so that was nice of him. I'm making quotes here. (laughs) Very nice. Not suspicious. (laughs) Meanwhile, at the Buy More, Jeff, Lester, Morgan, and Emmett are playing poker together and drinking various kinds of alcohol. Morgan seems to be portrayed as mature now, as we have mentioned before, or at least more mature than Emmett because Morgan is drinking beer and Emmett drinks, what, is it a wine cooler? But they say that later. I've never had one, so I don't know what they look like. Yeah, it seemed like it or some kind of malt fruit. Straight alcohol. I drink straight whiskey all the time. I know that's the only alcohol I know. <laughs> uh, yeah, he he has the line where he takes a sip, uh, Emmett does, and he says, tastes like high school. Yeah. So I like that. Looks like it's like mostly um, sugar. Uh, it's like the equivalent of like when when I was in college and starting to drink and I would have like whipped cream flavored vodka Ooh. or like those, yeah, those little like very sweet shots. That's what I assumed it was. Yeah. But looks like a Seagram's okay. Island yeah. Cooler, whatever they're called, Island yeah. Boys. Yeah, well, like the show, like takes takes the piss out of Emmett all the time, but like he, the man knows what he likes. Like that's his alcohol. Why we gotta judge him for that? Like we're like, it's just your your preferences in alcohol are not an indicator of your uh, worth as a man. Come on, Chuck. Yeah, word. I'm gonna snap to yeah. that. Mm. Uh, Emmett references how Morgan has sold Chuck out, and tomorrow Chuck will get his. Again, I don't really know what that's referring to, and we never find out. I think he might. He's gonna bring a gun. (laughs) Jesus! He's gonna lock Chuck into the cage. They're gonna set up a stage like Chuck versus Tom Sawyer, and he's gonna march. (laughs) There's a (laughs) guillotine. No adulterers in the Bymore. Oh my god! (laughs) Chuck's like, I'm sorry, Uh, Morgan. <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> uh, back at the opera, Casey berates Chuck and threatens to torture him for crimes against his country in a very, very violent uh, description of what he's going to do to Chuck. <laughs> Chuck reveals that he used Morgan's game copier to make a copy of the Fulcrum agent's list, so he has managed to trick the Fulcrum guy into letting Jill go, and he has still maintained a copy of the list somewhere. So that's great. Very good. Good thing. I was also wondering, like maybe. Maybe the way that that list works, it like you can't copy it to a computer, but like 
they had it plugged into their computer. They were already analyzing it, and, like, Beckman had seen it. So, like, why wasn't it already copied somewhere? Well, it wasn't, like, completely done copying when you ripped yeah, it out? Maybe, yeah, I guess that makes sense. Um, I guess they were encrypting it. Maybe you couldn't until you encrypt I don't know. But uh, Chuck made a copy of it, so that's fine. Right. Sarah and Jill have a moment where uh, I hope in the next episode Jill does not say she doesn't know who Sarah is because d- this time they are definitely talking. They have a moment where Jill says she's sorry for not trusting Chuck with Sarah, and Sarah says Jill can pay her back by not hurting Chuck again. So it's a nice, it's a nice moment. The next day, Emmett is super hungover. Morgan apparently filmed Emmett breaking into Big Mike's office while drunk and screaming at the fish on the wall, then throwing up under Big Mike's desk. Morgan blackmails Emmett with the footage in order to protect Chuck. Good thinking, Morgan. That night, uh, Chuck and Jill are finally going to consummate their relationship uh, at Chuck's apartment. Chuck makes a reference to how they have a hotel booked somewhere. Hopefully not the hotel that they were at earlier in the day, but who knows. Um, Jill says that they can just like hang out there, and she puts her shirt over the camera in Chuck's room, which uh, I don't know why no one thought of that before, because that seems like a pretty obvious way of dealing with that. Um, as this is happening, Sarah and Casey are looking at the Fulcrum agents list, which has started to finally unencrypt. As like as we're cutting between these two scenes of uh, Jill and Chuck making out and the Fulcrum list, we finally get to a point where uh, Chuck and Jill seem to be very much in love. And then uh, Sarah and Casey see that Jill comes up on the screen and she's Fulcrum. Oh, no. Wow. Who could have seen this coming? Uh, Sarah and Casey rush to rescue Chuck, but uh, Jill and Chuck are already gone. I don't exactly know how that timing worked out. I don't know if they uh, actually ended up having sex or if they just pretended like they got to the point that we saw and then said, we're going to stop now, take off Chuck's watch and leave. But uh, they are gone. Chuck left his watch behind, so there's no way of tracking him. And we uh, finish the episode with uh, Jill and Chuck in Jill's convertible driving to wherever these spy kids go. The Island of Lost Dreams. The Island of Lost I saw you trying to remember what that was called. I was thinking Schlitterbahn because that's another location they go to in the, the Spy Kids movies. So we end with Jill. We know who is a fulcrum agent and she has Chuck completely unarmed off the grid. Yes. What's going to happen? What's going to happen? We don't know. This was actually, um, this was, I don't want to get too ahead of myself with ratings, but this was like a cliffhanger that was uh, interesting enough that I thought about watching like the first five minutes of the next episode to see what happens because mm. I, I wasn't going to watch the whole next episode right then, but I was like, I, I need to know like if, if Chuck's oh. going to be okay. So it was, it was good. It was a good, good cliffhanger. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it sure was. That's uh, episode seven, season two, Chuck versus the fat lady. There it is. A lot happens in this particular episode. I have some, some background information to uh, pop in here. You already mentioned the uh, Bugs Bunny cartoon, What's Opera Doc, Mm. is what it's called. Probably if you pronounce that a little bit differently, it would be funnier than when I just said it. But it is playing... uh, I did notice it on the screens, and I was like, what is that? Is that The Simpsons? And then I realized it was Looney Tunes. But I am not really familiar with the Looney Tunes because I wasn't allowed to watch it as a child. So I did not know uh, the various minutiae of the episodes and that there was an opera. But um, very relevant. Because it was too violent? Too violent. Really? I wasn't allowed to watch that or Power Rangers. Interesting. Or SpongeBob, but I did watch SpongeBob oh. anyway. The SpongeBob because my dad it was, liked it. Oh, SpongeBob isn't violent. No, I don't really know why I wasn't supposed to watch SpongeBob, oh. but the point of it was that my my dad really liked SpongeBob, so we would really? watch it in secret. I didn't know yeah. that. That my dad liked SpongeBob. Yeah. 
I mean, I don't think he really thinks about it anymore, but like when I was a kid, he really liked it. Oh, well, you should try to get him to think about it more. He loved, he loved Squidward. Really? I think he related to him. Yeah. <laughs> there, all these memories are coming back now, I guess, you know, Squidward, Squidward was a dad character. Your dad definitely liked Squidward too. Um, I don't think my dad ever watched SpongeBob. My mom hated Got SpongeBob, it. but, um, I mean, I don't blame her. You don't like I think, it? I mean, I think it's a good, I don't know. I don't, I haven't watched it in a while. Like, I think it's, it's hard to separate my, uh, like my experience of SpongeBob as a child from like what I think of it now. Mm. Um, but I wa I saw the SpongeBob musical in New York. So, well, I, I don't, I thought that was fun. I don't think that counts, but that's fine. I'll take it. Um, another fun note is that, uh, Jill says that the logon for Guy's computer was a randomly selected word from a piece of Bogon poetry. I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right because I've only ever read it, but that's a reference to the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, where this uh, race has the worst poetry known to uh, known to the universe, and uh, it kills people when they hear it. So that was a oh. that was a fun reference. Didn't pick um, they uh a very common uh goof that was noted on all of the uh sources that i usually check after watching an episode of chuck mm -hmm. was that the high c that casey sings is actually an e oh so that's yeah <laughs> i don't i don't really know if that was just like them not paying attention or if they were like he couldn't sing a high c so they made it an e and just didn't didn't they were like no one will know that but everybody did so i'm uh, i'm apparently yeah. tone deaf i was just like that sounds about right. I, I mean, I don't, I don't, yeah, yeah. I don't. But I guess they came up with the line high C before they knew if the, uh, if Casey, if, uh, what, it, what is his name in real life? Adam Baldwin. Baldwin. Adam Baldwin. I was going to say Alec and I'm like, that's incorrect. I know that's wrong. Alec Baldwin. Uh, Adam Baldwin could not sing. Maybe Alec Baldwin could sing a high C, but Adam Baldwin maybe can't. That'd be a very different show. Alec Baldwin <laughs> was Casey. I was wondering if they were related. Like the first time I saw, I was like, yeah, he could be a, he could be a Baldwin, but I, I think it's just a name. Mm, just a name. <laughs> just a name. Um, uh, so would you like to move into Chuck, Mary kill? I would. Um, Chuck, Mary kill one part of this episode where we'd like to marry it because we liked it. And one part of this episode that we'd like to kill it because we did not like it. Um, Good description. Thank you. That is very concise. Very true. I <laughs> that's another reoccurring thing in the show is you complimenting me for how I introduced Chuck Mary Kill. <laughs> Good. It it's always patronizing. It's great. Um, <laughs> so my Mary for this week, um, and I think you alluded to it a little bit earlier, so you won't be too surprised, and you're not going to judge me too is much. It the five for fighting line? No, uh, it's not. But okay. I think uh, for the first time, Morgan is almost completely redeemable in this episode, and he oh, doesn't good, do anything yes. bad. Yeah. Um, I, so nice. It was a relief being like, hey, Morgan's kind of like the only one that has a good head on his shoulders this time around. Yeah. So little to ask and yet so rare to see. And he doesn't undermine it at all. It's not like he's like doing well for the entire episode. And then like the last three minutes, he like takes a bucket <laughs> of Ellie's underwear or something and <laughs> takes a bath in it. I don't know. Yeah. Because um, I mean, that could happen. <laughs> it could happen. Uh, but I also really like the closing sequence. Um, that yes. was edited because it was very tense and suspenseful and you don't know what's going on i feel like they probably maybe were alluding to it being in two different timelines kind of like the jill and chuck yeah. stuff was earlier in the day and then when yeah. sarah and casey are realizing what's going on it's later so that's why they chuck and jill are already off the grid by the time they realize it but yeah it did that that's... was an effective cliffhanger i like that sequence leading up to it it was very emotional yes i really agree 
Um, I have two Marys for this week. Um, one, as I just uh, said, was the Five for Fighting line. I thought that was really, really funny and it made mm-hmm. me laugh because I haven't thought about Five for Fighting in so long. And I just like I, I don't know the connotations of a Five for Fighting concert, like what they <laughs> were at this time. But whether or not like it's it's funny if uh, Five for Fighting was known for having people getting high in the audience. It's even funnier if it just doesn't know and thinks that that's what's happening. Mm. So either way, and especially like watching it now, having not thought of Five for Fighting in so long, it's it's great. It's a great line. Um, the other thing I would like to marry is the use of the song in the final sequence, mm-hmm. which is the song Keep Yourself Warm by Frightened uh, Rabbit. It's a weird choice to have on TV because the main lyric of the song is it takes more than fucking someone you don't know to keep yourself warm. They obviously did not say that in the uh, episode, but it was... A weird edit because they did use that part and it just kind of like the uh, the lyrics just kind of cut out for the word fucking mm. and then just everything else is the same interesting so if you were paying attention you would be like what like you would be able to tell what they had said it just didn't say it really so i didn't yeah. i didn't pick up on that at all i the music director really likes uh frying rabbit huh yeah there's they show up a lot um there's definitely other episodes where They've, they've used uh, the two songs that I knew, mm. um, like, the best, but they definitely use them later. I can think of other scenes uh, specifically involving Sarah in, like, later in the show mm. or maybe the season where other songs play. Interesting. So, they love, they love Fry and Rabbit. Yes. She loves them. Um, uh, what would you kill? Yeah, my kill was pretty minor. Uh, I just, mm. I was aggravated that they didn't even try to give the assassin a name. Yeah, I feel like fair. I feel like they didn't even consider how difficult it would make producing a podcast about this show. <laughs> Ten yeah, years we're just going to have to refer to him he all the yeah, time. Not giving There's him so a many name. characters where the I'm assassin, the fulcrum man. Yeah. Like, who is he talking yeah. about? What you can yeah. say like, oh look, it's it's Bill, Steve, yeah, Steve, Bill. it's Bill, Steve, Bill, Steve, Steve, Bill. So that was my kill. Um, yeah, I would I would kill. Um, I thought. I thought it was a little uh, excessively immature in the scene where Sarah is pretending to be an escort where the uh, bellhop men point at her and say, wonder how much that costs. Mm. Because this hotel, it's implied that there's a lot of escorts hanging out there. I don't know why these uh, these men are like specific. Like, I don't I don't know what that question is. I don't know. It seems like they see a lot of escorts. I don't. Do they do this for everyone? Is it just like so? I don't know. Mm -hmm. So I would I would have just got rid of that. Yeah, I think that's valid. Because um, we we know that Sarah's beautiful and that everybody uh, everybody loves her, so we don't need another example of that. Yeah, it doesn't in add anything. this kind of sexist way. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's uh, that's Chuck Mary Kill. I don't know why I'm doing the announcements now, but I'd like I to move it. into um, <laughs> I'd like to move into the final segment <laughs> of our show, which is called the Scooter Scale. It is known uh, for that. I'm not doing well at this, but it is a Reminiscent name referring to our favorite character, Scooter, who was the former manager of the Wienerlicious. Um, we are going to give the episode a rating of one to five corn dogs, uh, one being a low rating and five being the highest possible rating. Chris, what do you think? Well, I think it's I appreciate you taking the steering wheel. I feel like this is like Jill and Chuck driving in a convertible. I feel like I'm on the passenger side and it's enjoyable. <laughs> I feel like you can't rule out zero corn dogs, though. I feel like that's oh, right, a possibility. Okay. But yeah, uh, other than that, zero, I, zero to five, I would give your rating. I would give your description of the scooter scale, maybe like a three point five. OK, that's fair. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think this episode, I would give it probably a four. Um, wow. OK, we differ. OK, um, I think I I really enjoyed it the first time that I watched it. Um, I think there are some some goofs and holes that as we just discovered. But 
overall, I, I don't really have anything major that I take fault with. Um, so yeah, I think I'll give it a four. Okay. I have written down that I would like to give it a 2.75. Interesting. Okay. Um, I'm going, I think I might bump it up to a three though, because I think that Morgan's uh, maturity, my, my issue with this episode, which I'll talk about in a second, mm. had to do with like the level of maturity in the episode. Okay. But I think Morgan's maturity might be like the extra 0.25. So I'll give it a three. Nice. Um, but as I was saying, I feel like this episode kind of uh, drove home some of my feelings about the show's maturity and my relationship to it as an adult viewer. Mm -hmm. Um, I thought the stuff with Morgan and Chuck's friendship was kind of weird because I I guess that Morgan is kind of portrayed as like a man child. So like it kind of makes sense that he'd have a less, less mature view of friendship. But I also think it's strange that he's just so like adamant that Chuck should tell him everything about his life that happened in the past. Like, I don't know the timeline of the show, but like I think him and Jill started talking like not that like not that long ago so like maybe like chuck just hasn't had time to tell morgan about it i don't know it just seemed like a little bit immature of morgan mm. um but then he like is mature later in the episode when he like still stands up for his friend anyway so i that was that was okay but i thought that like the plot lines with like chuck having to find somewhere to make out with his girlfriend and like have like going to very different locations like the backseat of a car and like the roof like i I think that is kind of, I guess, kind of funny as like saying like, oh, like Chuck is being monitored like Casey and Sarah, are, like his parents. I don't know. It, but it kind of just struck me as like, this is what it felt like to be a teenager. And as a teenager, I wouldn't have questioned this. But like as an adult, I feel like there are workarounds such as covering up the camera, which they do later or like whatever. And then I thought that I'm still not complete. I think this episode does a better job of it, but I'm not completely sold on like Emmett being like a bad guy who needs to like get his due. I feel like maybe less so in this episode because Emmett kind of starts being like a ridiculous caricature, but he's like, he's doing his job. Like it's reasonable. It's still reasonable of him to be like, Chuck is not doing his job. Where is Chuck going? And then like to be like, oh, like Emmett, Emmett needs to get his due and like get put in his place for like doing his job as assistant manager. I don't mm -hmm. know. Um, and also just like the things where like Casey was saying, like, Chuck is getting to second base, etc. Like that was all like, it just felt like this episode remind, like as, uh, as Emmett says, uh, at the end of the episode, the wine cooler tastes like high school to me, this episode tasted like high school. Wow. So three corn dogs. Fair enough. That's, uh, I, yeah, I think all of that's valid. Um, I, yeah, I don't, I don't have anything to add to that. I did write down to ask you, uh, what do you think high school tastes like for you? What does it taste like? Do some slam poetry here. High school tastes like, um, yeah. well, you know what I think it tastes like? I, there was, um, there was one year of high school where for some reason they gave us this brand new vending machine that oh. was accessible just in the hallway anytime mm -hmm. you wanted. And it was mm -hmm. stocked with every kind of flavor of vitamin water. Yeah. Well, we got And it was too. only for like a dollar or two dollars mm -hmm. or like a dollar fifty. Mm -hmm. And it was yeah. sweet because you could just walk up or like yeah. between classes or, um, so I'm going to say it tastes like um, Formula 50, the uh, the 50 cent, because that's the only time I've had it. It's they they stopped selling it, but mm -hmm. I had it a lot in high school. So hmm, I think, yeah, I think that sounds reasonable. Um, one of the tastes that haunts haunts me from high school is uh, one time I was uh, I was over 
<laughs> Much like when uh, Jill was hanging out at Chuck's apartment alone without him there, I was hanging out at one of my friends' uh, homes without anyone else there. Um, I don't remember why this was happening, but I was there, and I really wanted a snack. And I, uh, I saw that they had some bread, and then I looked in the fridge, and I saw that they had some frosting. And at the time, I thought, bread is kind of like cake. So I put the frosting on the bread, and it was disgusting, and I, I still uh, am haunted by that. So... I don't know if that's what the whole high school experience tastes like for me, but definitely uh, this one moment of high school. I forgot. I knew that story deep down yes. in my yeah. in my memory, and I did not know yeah. that, that was what that story was going to be. But as soon as there you introduced is... the bread and the frosting, I was like, oh, no, it's this yes, story. Yeah. There is a uh, commercial for vitamins where a woman's uh, children come in and say, Mom, we made you fairy bread or like something. And then they give it to her and it's bread with frosting on it. And I'm like, oh, this, oh, this is so gross. So I see that commercial. Oh, yeah, yeah. Like, ah. I remember, yeah. Yeah, I've seen that commercial. That's valid. Yeah. Uh, yep. Well, it's officially if we start talking about commercials for vitamins, it's, it officially means that we've gone on too long. Uh, yep. So I think it is time for us to have the fat lady sing. Or I guess we could can you sing a high C for us. Can you sing some five for fighting? Um, I we could do, we can have the fat man sing, so I can sing this out uh, with some. Still time oh, that's what that song is. Yeah. I'm Chris Gillespie. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week on Go Chuck Yourself. I would like to remind you that food is sexy. And uh, I'm Erin Rana, reminding you that anything is possible. That's like a median age, right? Like that's or like, is that an average? A hundred? Yeah, I think it's that's really generous. I think it would be wonderful, you know, to have that. But yeah. A lot of people are not that lucky. <laughs> yeah. I mean, but the song, it, can you imagine you only got 82 years <laughs> to live. And he puts your name in it. <laughs> he just you, knows when everyone will die. <laughs> when you're having a rada and you've only got 73 years to live. Oh my god. This is, yep, this is uh, scary now. <laughs> Death is imminent. All right, see you next week, folks. Bye. Thanks for listening. Special thanks to freemusicarchive.org and the artist Hadakoa for providing us with our theme song, Warm Up. Make sure to email us at gochuckyourselfpodcast at gmail.com and tweet at us at gochuckpodcast. Remember to like and subscribe to our show on Apple Podcasts and write a review if that's something you need to do. We'll see you next week. Bye-bye.